This is Omar WJ. It's a quarter hour podcast. It's uh, 7.18 p.m. Um, I found this. Uh, this is... Uh, they've been talking about the... Uh, it's been a, like over a year since... Um, um, what they call the start of the pandemic in the USA. Um, just sounds like, um, like they don't have anything to write about. Um, here's, uh, Dr. Fauci talking. You're absolutely correct, Mom. It was at the end of December. We had heard of an unusual virus. We didn't even know it was a virus, an unusual pneumonia that was being noticed in the Wuhan district in central China. And for those of us, myself and many of my colleagues, both here at the NIH and elsewhere, who had been involved in responding in the year 2002 to the SARS outbreak, severe acute respiratory syndrome, which was a coronavirus that emerged from Guangdong province in China. It had gone from a bat reservoir to a civet cat to a human. And when we heard that it was associated with a wet market in China in the Wuhan district, many of us felt, you know, the chances of this being another coronavirus that has jumped species. We did not know at the time at all whether it was just jumping from an animal to a human or whether it was transmitted also from human to human. And if so, how efficient was it being transmitted from human to human? That was the end of December. January 9th, the Chinese isolated the virus and put up the sequence, the genetic sequence of the virus on a public database. And it was clear that here we are yet again dealing with another pandemic coronavirus, similar in some respects to SARS and similar to MERS, the Middle East Respiratory Syndrome. But what we did not know, but evolved over a period of weeks to months, was how extraordinarily contagious this virus is, number one, and number two, that a substantial proportion of the people had no symptoms. Namely, they could spread the virus without ever getting sick themselves or during a period of time before they got symptoms. That's very unusual for a respiratory virus, and that kind of fooled us in the beginning. But then as the months went by, it became clear that we were dealing with a uh, historic pandemic of literally, you know, extraordinary historic proportions, the likes of which we have not seen in 102 years. You know, the first case that was recognized in the United States was January 21st. Then thereafter was the spouse of that person. They had come from Wuhan, China. Then as we went from the end of January into February, it became clear that there was community spread, not quite sure it was from asymptomatic people, but then as we got from February to March, it was very clear that we had a really serious problem here of the spread of a virus, often without any symptoms in the person who's transmitting it. We were realizing that among some people, particularly the elderly and those with underlying uh, comorbidities, that it was very serious and was causing a considerable amount of morbidity and mortality. Fast forward to now, you know, mid-December of 2020, essentially 10 and a half, 11 months later, 
Yesterday was a very difficult day. On the one hand, we had the rollout of the vaccine, but on the other hand, the 300,000th person in this country died from COVID-19. That's historic and, and really terrible. And, and that's a number that it's sort of hard to grapple with for, for many of us. It's a number that you didn't even predict earlier this year. I mean, if you could talk to, you know, Dr. Fauci in December 2019, what would you tell him? Well, if, if I were to speak to my, my other self back then, I would say, you know, you got to keep heads up aware a virus like this could go. Don't make any assumptions. But I wouldn't have expected that it would turn out to be essentially my worst nightmare. Because when people ask me as an infectious disease person, what is the thing that keeps you up at night? Or put another way, what is your worst nightmare? And my worst nightmare is the evolution of a new virus that jumps species from an animal to a human that's respiratory born, that's highly, highly efficient in its ability to spread from person to person, and that can cause a high degree of morbidity and mortality either in the general population or in a subgroup of people. And then unfortunately for me and the world in general, that's exactly what happens. So one knows that you get emerging infections and no one would have anticipated that it was going to be as terrible and horrible as it's turned out to be. I think a lot of people over the course of this year at all different education levels became amateur epidemiologists in 2020. Um, you know, we learned a lot about your world. What did you learn? What did you, you know, feel the most surprised about this year? Well, the virus continued to fool us as it evolved until we got to the point where it was so clear what was going on. We're still learning a lot about it, about its ability to make people sick and have symptoms that last for weeks to months, even after the virus is cleared. But as we learned, the surprise was what I had just mentioned, that you could have the same virus. And, and this is noteworthy, Ron, because I've never seen anything like this before. And I've been dealing with viruses that emerge in pandemic form for now. This is my 37th year that I've been doing that. And I can tell you that I've never seen a virus that on the one hand can have no symptoms in someone. Uh, and in those who do get symptoms, the majority have just very mild symptoms. And yet in other people, it just kills them. So usually when you have a virus that's capable of so quickly killing someone, that almost everybody who gets infected has some degree of illness, but isn't. This is like a lot of people, it doesn't bother even a little bit. And then some people it kills, which makes it very difficult to message this, to get the message across particularly the young people who have much less of a chance, not zero by any means, but much less of a chance of having a serious outcome because they realize that most of the people who get into trouble are either elderly or those with underlying conditions. So they tend to feel, what's the deal? What's the big deal if I get infected? You know, I'm probably not going to wind up getting any symptoms. That's a bad attitude and the wrong attitude because what you're doing is you're pop propagating the outbreak. You're becoming part of the transmission chain. And ultimately, that transmission chain is killing people. So do you really want to be a part of a process that's a transmission chain of infection or do you want to protect yourself from getting infected so that you don't pass it on to anybody else again a very difficult message to get across
you think to some extent now it's been almost a year of this people have become numb to the suffering i mean and when new york was really in its darkest moments earlier this year it felt like everyone was paying attention but now you see you see cases like new york across this country and it doesn't feel like we're all on the same page you know unfortunately that's what happens when you have something as serious as this be as chronic and prolonged you know some refer to it as covid fatigue you're fatigued with sort of locking down a bit but you're also fatigued with the numbing numbers you know if you if you're in a hospital room like i was seeing patients and you see someone suffering it's a real phenomenon there that's a human being that's in danger of dying and you're trying to do something about it when you get a number that's 300,000 that becomes a, a, a like a statistic that you can't get your arms around you're right you do get numb to it the thing that i find astounding in this country that this outbreak has evolved in the context of an extraordinary degree of divisiveness in our society divisiveness where the pandemic itself has undertaken a political connotation so that things like wearing masks or not wearing masks avoiding crowds or being in crowds it depends on almost what your political ideology is that you do or do not abide by what the recommendations are that's extraordinary in fact there are parts of the country where the hospitals are overflowing with patients the intensive care units are being stressed and still a certain proportion of people in that city that state that region think it's a hoax they think it's fake news they don't believe that we're in the middle of an outbreak when we just broke an, an extraordinary record of 300,000 people having died that's the worst that's ever happened in this country in 102 years so how people can look at that number and say it's fake news or it's a hoax just it, 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 I can't imagine that but it's happening I've had people tell me personally before that they believe the moon landing was fake um I'm deleting this file. I don't want to hear it, hear it again. This is from Vox.com, I believe. Virus tolls similar despite governor's contrasting actions. Okay, yeah, okay. Um, the way you know you've been exposed to COVID-19 is if you get it. Um, they had some TED Talk. And... Uh, Everybody got vaccinated, or everybody had, um, um, and I'm, I'm pretty sure I said this before, everybody um, um, had, um, um, everybody had uh, gotten tested, and then, like, um, afterwards, a whole bunch of people, um, was positive for COVID-19. They thought they were having a safe TED Talk. Um, these uh, always look like a pretty big, um, I don't know, looks like an auditorium full of people. So maybe, you know, hundreds of people. Democratic push to revive earmarks div divides Republicans. Okay. Can lawmakers bring home the pork without it being um, bring home the bacon without being pork? Okay, that's what we talk about in the USA. 
used to um, bring home the bacon. Um, let's see, where am I? Slow news day. Abortion bills abound. Their fate in court is unknown. That's another thing about Republicans. They care about you when you're unborn, but when you're alive, um, all you're good for is getting executed. Um, let's see. So just a moment here. Gonna play um, this, um, my closing song. New closing song. Just a moment. Let's see. It's been a slow news day. I don't really have anything to pass pass on. Um, I haven't really been watching the news either. Um, just saw this thing NFT again and that stands for non-fungible token and something else reminded me of something I wanted to say and it escaped my mind um, NFT non-fungible token here we go what's this craze for NFTs all about anyway um, okay a digital art piece tweaked using cryptocurrency technology to make it one of a kind sold at auction this week for nearly seventy million. That transaction made global headlines and buoyed already mushrooming interest in these kinds of digital objects known as non fungible tokens or NFTs that have captured the interest of artists and art collectors alike. In economics jargon, a fungible token is an asset that can be exchanged on a one-for-one -one basis. Oh, Bitcoin is, um, has reached a record high, and it's uh, seven, 
33 p.m. Arabian Standard Time. Um, tomorrow is Pi Day. P.I. Um, day. Okay. We'll talk about that more. 3.14 day. They don't call it. <laughs>